so uh, you're welcome to pick up one of these six-week devotionals in honors of mothers. Also, when you go by there, uh, there should be a carnation for each lady to take home today. And there will be a couple of pieces of chocolate in baskets. Just take a couple. And there's a cup of coffee for you. Instant coffee or a K-cup, depending on what you have at home. And uh, so you can take a book to read, coffee to drink, a little chocolate, along with a flower. We just want you to know that we believe that you are very special, and we are so thankful that you are in the house of the Lord today. We thank you for your godly uh, advice and guidance that you've given to us and to our children. We appreciate you very much. I pray that this would be a very blessed day for you, no matter where you are in your journey. And the reason I say no matter where you are in your journey is I know that there are mothers struggling with the demands of motherhood. I know there are mothers who have strained relationships with their children or with their mother. I know there are mothers who've lost their children and children who lost their mothers. I'm aware that there are women who long to have children, but for whatever reason, God has not blessed them with that gift. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who are totally enjoying your motherhood and raising your kids, or thanking the Lord that you have an empty nest, and now you have grandkids that you can spoil and send home. And all kinds of places, wherever you are. My prayer is that today will be a very blessed day for you. My prayer is that you can say what Hagar said on perhaps one of the lowest days of her life. Sarah, uh, Hagar was Sarah's handmaiden. Remember, Sarah talked Hagar and Abraham into the fact that they needed to get together so that Abraham could have a, an heir. And then when Hagar got pregnant, Sarah got jealous, treated her meanly. Hagar runs away. She comes under a bush out in the wilderness, and God says, what are you doing here? And she named the name of that place his, the Lord sees me. She said, I have seen the one who sees me. And that's my prayer, is that you would understand that wherever you are in your journey of life today, God sees you. And that you would see the one who sees you. Today we're going to divert from our exposition of the book of Romans, letter to the church at Rome, <coughs> where we've come to the latter part of chapter 12, and we were going to complete the message I began last week and what love looks like. Um, but as this week has gone on, um, my thoughts were directed in another direction just for today. Normally, I, I don't like diverting for the Hallmark Days, but Mother's Day is a very special day, and I want to just divert. I did tell my wife last night that it would perhaps make more sense for her to share the Mother's Day message since she's a mother, and I'm not and never will be, thank the Lord. But she declined the opportunity to speak. This morning, I want to take a couple of lessons from perhaps the most famous mother of all time. But I want you to know, gentlemen, I'm not just speaking to mothers today. I'm just using the example of a mother to speak to all of us. I'm talking to anyone and everyone who has ever been who is right now feeling overwhelmed by your present lot in life. There are numerous moms in the Bible that their lives give to us some great principles to be successful in our pursuit of God and, and His purpose for our life. And in fact, as those of you who received the letter this week, um, you know, I looked ahead to today's reading, which is the book of Ruth. 
and the story of Naomi. And it would be a great illustration to the points I want to make. But I'll, lead, I'll let you read that in your Bible reading today in all four chapters and read the story of Naomi and Ruth. The title of the message today is, When You Are Overwhelmed, and then the subtitle is, What to Do. When You Are Overwhelmed, and What to Do. There are a whole lot of things in this life that come our way that can be overwhelming. For many people, the last two years in the isolation of COVID has been overwhelming. The mandates and uh, the effort to avoid con contracting the virus, overwhelming. Grief can be overwhelming. Responsibilities sometimes can come to the place where they're overwhelming. Worry, grudges, guilt. What do you do when you are overwhelmed? And to talk about this, I want to go to the Christmas story. I want to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and talk about a very famous mother. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I underlined that. Greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. For this young woman, living in the city of Nazareth, things are already confusing because she's keenly aware of the fact that whoever this visitor is, that is not a normal person from around here. This individual who just kind of appears in her presence, this is an angel. And an angel says to her, O favored one, I want you to understand, this is the village of Nazareth in Galilee. This is not Jerusalem. It's Nazareth. Nazareth was a place that was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers and people running from the law. That's where they went to hide out. It was a place that's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament that I can find. Josephus, the historian who wrote about that period of time, he doesn't even write about Nazareth. It wasn't even until 1962 that they really archaeologists really discovered where Nazareth was. It was on the road between two port cities. And it seemed to have the reputation that went along with port cities. If you've read the, the, the account of, of Jesus interacting with the men that he chose to be the twelve. Remember when he comes to Nathaniel. He says to Nathaniel, I saw you while you're sitting under that tree. And Nathaniel says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And yet this is where the angel Gabriel has shown up in Nazareth at the home of a young woman named Mary. Now, this part of history blows my mind. But history tells us that it was very common for parents to arrange the marriage of their daughters when they were about 12. And there would be about a year of engagement. And so when they were 13 or 14, they're getting married. So here is, most scholars believe she was a teenager, 13 or 14 years old confronted by a messenger from heaven who says, you're the favored one. The Lord is with you, so don't be afraid. And then he drops the bomb. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. <clears throat> he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Now for us on this side of the story, who have heard it, I won't say how many years I've heard it. We've heard it over and over and over, and, and we rejoice, and, and this is fantastic. Here comes the Messiah through this chosen individual. Mary engaged to the carpenter named Joseph. We've heard it over and over and over. Mary, you're the one that Isaiah talked about when he said, Behold, the virgin shall bring forth a child, and they name, shall name him the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This, this one who's going to save his people, the angel said, you call his name Jesus, which means the one who's going to save. He's our savior, our redeemer. Not only that, he said, he's going to be holy beyond comprehension. He is going to be called the Son of God. Now, this seems to me to be the most proper place for Luke to write, and she was greatly troubled at his saying when he said, she, he will be the Son of God, and you are going to carry him in your womb. I am so looking forward to heaven to be able to get the rest of the story for all of these stories. I mean, my imagination runs wild. We, we don't get to see or hear the process that this teenage girl went through in these moments when she's confronted by the angel Gabriel. Not just any angel, but Gabriel. One of the archangels, one of the most important angels in heaven who shows up at the most important places in history. And she gets this message. And he says, you are highly favored somewhere along the line that Catholics took this to the nth degree and they deified Mary. And we can't go that far. But she is a woman who gives to us a great picture of what faith in God looks like. As, as we read Matthew's account and Joseph's response to the announcement, this fiancé is pregnant, I think we can get a good idea of some of the overwhelming circumstances that Mary would be facing if she's suddenly pregnant. You are going to conceive, bring forth a son. He'll be named Jesus. He'll save people. And he'll be the Son of the Most High. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Now, what could there possibly be to cause fear? Let me suggest a few things. There might have been the fear of criticism. What are people going to think? I mean, in the first place, she's going to go to her parents and say, guess what? An angel showed up today and told me I'm going to have a baby. And then, Joseph, we know how Joseph responded. Oh, I, can't, I can't believe, I'm going to have to divorce her privately and put her away. He was expecting a virgin on his wedding night. And, and, and what are people going to say when they see the baby bump? Poor Joseph, she turned out to be a tramp. The criticism. You say, Really? Well, just think back in the early days, back when the 1960s and 70s, when a high school girl got pregnant, they didn't have a class for her. What they did is they actually sent them away to a home for unwed mothers where they would have the baby out of sight. And that was what Joseph was going to do, is to put her away privately. Criticism. There might have been the fear of the supernatural, 
How is this going to... What's going to take place in my body? No man, yet a baby? Supernatural can give you the willies. When you begin to think about things beyond your explanation. There might have been the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy. Being a parent comes with great responsibility. Now, some of you may have felt totally prepared to have your first child when you became a parent. Most of us were deathly afraid. What do we do with this thing? You're holding the baby the first time, and they're telling you, watch out for its head, watch it, you know. My kids were actually big enough that you didn't have to worry about anything. They could play football when they were born. But how, you know, we've got 18 years to, to do something. She's not having just any child. Who's the father she's going to answer to? She's going to answer the Heavenly Father. This is the Son of God. She may have had the fear of change. The fear of change. Growing up in Nazareth, she had probably anticipated anything but an extraordinary life. Her expectations would have been more along the line, I'm going to marry that Joseph Carpenter guy. I hope he love him before it's all said and done. We're going to have numerous children. We'll probably never travel very far from our home because we are going to be on the poverty level from here to the time we die. We are nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. The angel said, you're going to give birth to the Son of the Almighty. And she's thinking, what's going to happen to my life? Have I set the platform to let you feel like Mary could have been very overwhelmed by what has just taken place? Overwhelmed with fear? Maybe overwhelmed with joy? More fear? We don't know for sure. What we do know is she immediately left town for three months. As we consider Mary's response and her story, I think there's three things that we can see that we can do when life overwhelms us to some level. Whether you're talking about stress or responsibilities, debt, relational problems with your spouse, your children, issues of employment or watching too much CNN or Fox News regarding the world and politics. Overwhelmed. So what steps can we take to be when we feel overwhelmed, let me share some suggestions. Number one, let go of my need to control the situation. Let go of my need to control the situation. Now, I realize that in a room with this many people, there's a whole gamut of personalities. And that some of us are more prone to control issues than others. But typically speaking... The more out of control things seem to be, the more stress we feel, the more overwhelmed we feel. I can still remember when I first tried to start learning how to snow ski. I'm not sure why in the world I put all the layers on for cold weather. Because all the effort that I was putting in to be in control, I was... Sweating like a pig. I know that's a little gross, but there's this total effort. I wanted to be in control because I didn't want to be Sonny Bono. George of the jungle, watch out for that tree. It wasn't until I learned that if I let the skis do what they're supposed to do, Life was a whole lot easier. When I'm in a car, I prefer to drive because I want to be in control. I know it might go back to when I was in college and I let my roommate start our journey home from Idaho for Thanksgiving break and he hit black ice that nobody anticipated. The car did a 360 in the middle of the highway and ended up at in the ditch, started to roll over. Thank God there was a boulder 
right by the door where I see it coming up in slow motion and push the car back up on its front wheels. The back wheels were suspended over the ditch. The bumper was stuck in. Since then, I've always wanted to be in control. My children will probably tell you I was way too controlling to suit them. But I remember the scripture. An elder needs to be in control of his children. Here's a fact of life. There's a whole lot of things in this world you cannot control. I cannot control. Anyone here figured out how to control the weather? It's snowing today on Mount Hood. Raining outside. For me, I cannot control the outcome of my preaching. I work hard at putting together a message that gives application points that if we put them to practice in our life, we walk and live successfully in the eyes of the Lord. If I was in control of what happened in here, you'd all be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And when you went out of here, you'd be winning people to Jesus every day and we wouldn't be able to hold the people inside the room if I was in control. But I can't control your will. I cannot control your thinking. I cannot re- control your response to the gospel. I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit for whatever takes place. I plant water, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings in the increase. In my opinion, God allows circumstances in our life that are beyond our control to help us to learn to depend on Him. God allows circumstances in our lives that are beyond our control to help us to learn to depend on Him. If you've read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's the passage of Scripture where Paul talks about how God took him into the third heaven. He saw things that he, that he couldn't even speak about. But to keep him humble, he said the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord, take away this thorn in my flesh. But look what God said to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Did you catch that? I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Back to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a child. He'd be the son of the Almighty God. And verse 34 said this, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? I underline that. How will this be? I must give her credit. When Gabriel said, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God, she did not say, no way. Oh, you're pulling my leg. You're not serious, are you? I'm having a hallucination. I need to wake up from this dream. She says, how? How in the world can a virgin have a baby? And you know what? Here we are 2,000 years later, and people are still asking the same question. How in the world... Can a virgin give birth to a child? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How? He said, God's going to do it. God's, he didn't give her any details. He just said, God is going to do it. No biology, no medical terms. Just know this. God is going to do it. Because verse 37 says this, For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. A couple of newer translations, one of the NIV newer translations says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. If God said it, you can believe it. 
Because he said, my word will not return void. It will accomplish what I've sent it to do. God can do anything. Whatever's out of my control is not out of God's control. There is not anything too difficult for God. And Mary responded, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She gave up control. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The first secret to overcoming, being overwhelmed, is to give up control. Yield to the Lord. Yield yourself to the will of the Lord. If you're facing something difficult today, why don't you sit down with paper and pencil and make two columns. On the left-hand column, put the th- write down all the things that you have some control over in the circumstance. And then on the right-hand side, put all the things down that you have absolutely no control over. You know what you need to do with the right column? You need to give it to the Father. Submit it to Him. I have no power. I have no might against this army, but my eyes are upon you. I am trusting you. Thank God for the strength He gives you to do what you can do. And the fact that he will do what you cannot do to bring about his purpose. You know, we have this tendency to believe that if everyone would simply let us rule the world, and by that I mean if everyone would do it our way, everyone would do it my way, everything would be wonderful. It's that need to control. Never forget what Solomon wrote. Psalms chapter three, or Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not try and figure everything out on your own, is the way one of the modern paraphrases say. We live in a culture that prides itself in its knowledge. Look at all the things we've created. Look at all the things that we have accomplished. I read in a book somewhere that God challenged us to compare our ability to think with His. And in that book it says, God says to man, My ways are as high above your ways as the heavens are above the earth. My ways are as high as the heavens are above the earth. I've gone up and down on an airplane six times in the last two weeks. It's a long, you know, we weren't even close to the edge of where we have oxygen, but it was a long ways down. God says, my ways, my way of thinking is that much higher than you at your best. Don't lean to your own understanding. You're never going to be able to fully understand God, this side of heaven. He's bigger than your brain capacity. He's bigger than your thought process. And when you're overwhelmed, give Him control. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, verse 6 says, and He will make straight your paths. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. David wrote in Psalms 138, a psalm of thanksgiving. And at the end of this psalm, and he, he, he writes, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And just for the record, the verse right before that, he's talking about all the trouble he has in his life. But he said, that's okay. I know that God will work out the purpose. He'll complete the purpose. Paul said in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will complete that work. Your life has purpose. Your life has purpose. Your life has purpose. Naomi, you need to cross out that you're put mine. My life has purpose. You were created by God to do good works that He created for you to do before you were ever created. I want to point out a couple of things about your purpose. 
Letter A is God's plan for your life is often bigger than your plan is for your life. God's plan for your life is often bigger than your plan is. God has a far bigger perspective, a far-reaching perspective. Joseph and Mary did not get engaged with the thought in mind. One day, we are going to be the parents of the promised one from heaven. Their plan was more along the lines, we'll get married, have children, live in the family estate so we can pass on the family name to our, in, you know, the, the land that we got from Joshua. We need to keep that in the family line so we're going to keep having babies till we have boys and keep on passing on this family name. But God had a bigger plan. We have no idea what God can do through a man or woman who does what Mary did and say, Lord, here I am. Whatever it is you want, may it be to me according to your plan. Letter B, God's plan is often more costly than the plan that you planned on for your life. It's more painful. There was pain involved in becoming the mother of the Christ child. And I don't just mean the excruciating pain of the, the baby coming through the birth canal. There would have been gossip that never went away about this illegitimate child. When they took Jesus to the temple at eight days old, Simeon blessed the child as he held him in his arms. I've seen the salvation of God, now I can die. And then he says to Mary, his parting words is, a sword will pierce your own soul. And he's referring to the day that she would stand and watch her son crucified by ungodly men. But though it was costly, though it was hard, God took it all and caused it to work together for good. God took it all and caused it to work together for good. Let her see, God's plan for your life is always better than your plan was. God's plan for your life is always better. When you cooperate with God's plans, your life can relax and you can stop being overwhelmed. God looks at life from an eternal perspective, not just the here and now. God will always sacrifice short-term comfort in your life to gain long-term glory in your life. God will sacrifice short-term comfort in order to build character in your life that's going to bless you for eternity. You've heard me say it before. God's not interested in making you comfortable. God is interested in preparing you for eternity. God's not interested in making you comfortable. What will it profit a man if he gained the whole world? and lose his own soul. He's preparing you for eternity where you're going to spend eternity. And we want to put a number on it, but eternity never ends. A gazillion, bazillion, whatever. It's just begun. God knows what's best for you. He loves you. And he's at work in the circumstances of your life to prepare you for that moment. So the wisest thing to do is, God, I'm going to depend on you. And God says, that's exactly where I want you. When we're overwhelmed, give up control. Secondly, let others help me out. Let others help me out. What did Mary do after Gabriel gave her the news and departed? She submitted herself to the Spirit of God, the overshadowing, let it be done, whatever's going to be done, and we know that it took place. Because in verse 39, it said, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Let go of control and then let others help you out. That's the opposite of what we tend to do, isn't it? When you become overwhelmed, 
What's your number one tendency? It's usually to withdraw. Withdraw from people, even people in close relationships. Our tendency is to isolate ourselves. I know some close friends. When their feelings of being overwhelmed come upon them, they don't want to be around anybody. They want to hunker in their bunker and not see anybody, not talk to anybody. They want to throw a party, a pity party, and they invite the three pronouns, me, myself, and I. Mary made haste to the town in Judah to see this woman who's a cousin. When the angel told her, Elizabeth's already six months along and it's miracle pregnancy. And, and as you read the story in Luke, it is obvious that Elizabeth, who's the wife of a priest, is a very godly woman herself. And not only that, she had far more life experience than Mary did. And she was much more pregnant. She's already six months down the road toward delivery. When you're overwhelmed, let others help you. Find an Elizabeth. Find a Barnabas. Find a Paul. Look for somebody who's, letter A, a strong believer. Look for somebody who's a strong believer. Someone who's grounded in their faith and the Word of God. Someone who t walks the talk faithfully. Now you can go find in lots of places people that will feel sorry for you. But that's not what you need. You need somebody who's solid in the Word of God. And somebody, let her be, somebody a little further down the road than you are spiritually and experientially. Someone with more life experience. Someone who's been leaning on the Lord a little longer. You're not going to find anybody who's perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But you will find somebody who's been where you are. And they've learned it either the good way or the hard way, but they've learned it. And they can share with you what they've learned. Ecclesiastes said this, Solomon said this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. To lift him up. One of the Bible reasons for being a gathering like this on an ongoing basis and plugging into Bible study groups, Hebrews 10:23 said this: "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up." The verse four says. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is not in your notes, but I put it on the screen, and I want you to see this. Fellowship is more than an option. It's a command. Fellowship, koinonia, is walking together. It is sharing life together. It's not just having a meal together. Fellowship is doing life together. It's more than just an option. It's a command. We just read in, in Hebrews, in the imperative. We talked in Romans chapter 12 that God created us to be the body, and each member of the body needs the other members. Galatians 6 2 says this Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help one another out. Bear one another, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Jesus said, I give you a new command that you love one another as I have loved you. When you allow someone to know that you're overwhelmed and you allow them to come alongside of you, you are part of fulfilling the love of Christ. And I hear someone say, hey, I'm the one hurting. They should be coming to me. But how often do we let our pride cause us to withdraw or to put on a mask 
How you doing? I'm doing great. It's kind of like that commercial of that depression thing, that little paper plate. Part of fulfilling the law of Christ is being honest in those moments when I need a brother or sister to just lock arms with me and walk with me. And listen, it's so important to cultivate those relationships during the good times so you know exactly where to go in the bad times. Amen? We are not called to be lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And even as I wrote that down, then I remembered he even had Tonto. But we're not called to do it alone. We are called to walk together. Number three, let God give me strength. Let God give me strength. Did you know that God wants to be your strength? Too often we live by a couple of old cliches or old sayings and some people think they came from the Bible. The one, like the one, if it's to be, it's up to me. And that's not Bible. Or how about the one, God helps those who help themselves. People say the Bible, said, the Bible didn't say that. I think Ben Franklin did. Asaph understood when he wrote a song, my strength comes from God. In Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the strength of my heart. There's so many verses, Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord. God said, I'll exchange your weakness for my strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Though Mary was a young girl, and though she'd been given a, an assignment that's mind-blowing, Elizabeth saw something in her and commended her for it. Mary proceeded though overwhelmed by believing the promise of God. She believed the promise of God. She could not explain it all, but she believed it. We read in verses 40 through 44, Mary showing up at Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth having a Holy Spirit moment as the baby, John the Baptist in her womb, leaps for joy as this connection, the supernatural connection, and suddenly Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she begins to pronounce blessing on the mother of the Messiah that stood before her. And she ends her blessing with verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She who believed, underline that word believed in your scripture, there's a calm, there's a peace that comes to the heart of the person who is standing on the promises of God. There's so many, somebody said there's 7,000 promises. I've never counted them all, and I probably never will sit down to count them all. I don't see having that much spare time. But one of them that I love is, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, you will. I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. And that promise is signed. If you read the next verse, it's signed. He said, I am the Lord, your God, the Savior, the Holy One of Israel. He signed it. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, he's talking about the tribulations of life that come our way. Mary found strength in the Lord by doing two things. Praising God for his goodness. Praising God for his goodness. Did you know that there is an enormous amount of energy and power that's released when you begin to vocalize praise to God? Just try it. You said, that's something I do in church. I dare you to try it every day. Your work, 
you feel a little weary, just begin to vocalize praise to Jesus. You're doing that housework, so tedious. Lift your voice in song while you're pushing the vacuum cleaner, pushing the broom. Just lift a song of praise. Thank God for His goodness. Every once in a while, just stop what you're doing and focus your total attention upon the goodness of God, the greatness of God. Verse 46 begins what is called the Magnificat. Mary sings this song before the Lord, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Being given this overwhelming promise, magnifies the Lord. Second thing she did is she meditates on God's Word. She meditates on God's Word. Meditate, ponder, think about the Word of God in your heart. The song that, that, that Mary sings at the end of chapter 1, the Magnificat, it, it, it's laced full of scriptures. Now, she was probably illiterate. However, she'd been to synagogue and sat on the women's side, and she listened enough. She quotes numerous passages of scripture in her song before the Lord. But when we read about the birth of Jesus in chapter 2, the shepherds hurrying from Beth, into Bethlehem and, and to see this child and, and then telling everyone who would listen about all the events that had taken place in their life. Luke 2.19 said this, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It was the promises of God that empowered her to be the mother to the Christ child. It was the promises of God that sustained her through all of the tribulations, moving down to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill this baby, and all of these things that they did not plan in their life. She kept the word of the Lord in her heart. It goes back to what the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Praise God for his goodness. Think about his word. Meditate on his word. I want to share with you a testimony that a, a lady gave in her church in on Mother's Day of 2002. Her name is Paula. And I'm going to read her testimony as it was forwarded to me. My testimony this morning begins in 1971 when I was united in marriage to a wonderful man named Jeremy. As we left the church that day, we left it to the song, We've Only Just Begun. Little did we know the current of events that lay before us. In the years that ahead, Jeremy completed medical school and entered his private practice as a physician. I was busy teaching school and raising three daughters and a son. Life just seemed to be rolling right along. God was using my husband in a very special way in his practice. He would often ask his patients, Would you like a prayer? Would you like a prescription? Or would you like both? He was a physician that had compassionate heart. He wanted to bring healing not only to the body, but also to the soul. In June of 1984, I received the tragic news that two college girlfriends had lost their pastor husbands in an airplane crash. After hearing the horrible news, I kept questioning God, how could you allow this to happen? They too had small children, the ages of my children. I could not imagine going through such an overwhelming experience. The thought of losing my husband just wasn't acceptable. Our family had decided to take a trip to Idaho to visit my parents, and during that visit, my father, my husband, took a hunting trip. I stayed home with my mother and my children. The evening of the second day, we heard a knock at the front door. My mother and I went to the door. There were two policemen stood there with the words I dreamed I would never hear. Your husband has been fatally shot. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. That was overwhelming news. How could God allow this to happen? 
Jeremy was a fine Christian man, a godly physician. He was helping so many people. God, what about my four small children? How can I raise them all by myself? Very difficult times were ahead. I went from days of denial to days of anger. I even went through days when the escape of sleep was all I could do. But as I began to listen to God, I began to feel his strength inside of me. I thought of the Bible verse that said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Of course, the process of healing took time. You don't get over tragedy easily or quickly. But two things really helped me when I felt overwhelmed. Parents, family, my church friends who surrounded my children, me with so much love and prayer. Second, I hid away alone with God each day to pray and to get into his word. The book of Psalms was a continuous source with promises of hope and assurance. David would cry before the Lord in pain. He expressed his anger and showed God his feelings. But he never ended a passage of scripture without praise to God. That was such a positive role model to me. Lord, I can complain. I can tell you I'm angry. I'm hurt. But I can praise you. Because I know you love me, and you'll take care. During my time of grieving, I faced crossroads. I could choose to feel sorry for myself and be angry with God. Or I could choose to forgive the person responsible for the accidental shooting of my husband and believe that God truly loved me and would take care of my children and me. The road to recovery began with a commitment to prayer and a process of forgiveness. It wasn't easy. There are many days I thought I would lose it. If any of you have taken care of four small children, you can relate to what I'm saying. But each day became a, I became a little bit stronger. The dependence on God also brought me into a feeling of peacefulness, and I became more and more confident in God's plan for me. While I did not prefer to be alone, I accepted God's plan would be my plan. Then in 1989, God surprised me, and I was introduced to a very special man of God who was raising two young sons on his own. To summarize what happened, after much prayer and months of conversation, we decided on a merger. Our families came together to be the Bagby Bunch. Three girls, three boys, a dog, but no maid. I'm still looking for the maid. It's been 12 years since we were married. These years have been filled with overwhelming challenges and struggles and blending six children to one family and having four teenagers all at the same time. But the dependence on God that I learned from the death of Jeremy prepared me for the challenge of life. Now my husband and I are at the stage of life. We are enjoying the rewards of years trusting in God and investing in our relationships. All of our six children are believers. Two of them are serving on church staffs. In conclusion, I want to encourage you, if you're facing something that seems overwhelming, God is with you. Trust that he knows best. He can be depended on. I've experienced the valley of the shadow of death. As someone who was called to walk that dreaded valley, I know for certain that where there's a curtain, there's also light. End of quote. I want to conclude with Malachi chapter 7 from the message paraphrase. Malachi in verse 1 said, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, sunk in a swamp of despair. And then for six verses, he lists all the things that are causing him such despair. But verse 7 says this, But me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I am not giving up. I want to conclude our service this morning by standing and singing to the goodness of God. Declaring... what we believe about the goodness of God. I love you, Lord, 
Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In the darkest night You were close like no other Known you as a father as a friend, I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. My life laid down, I surrender now, give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness I want to sing the chorus a couple more times and I know that we're late because I have a watch on I think I'll throw it away But if you're here today and the message was for you because you're overwhelmed at this point in time. As we sing this song, I want you to, to take a step of faith and just move right up here to the front and lift your voice to the Lord the best you can and just declare, Lord, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. And I know you'll be faithful again. My eyes are on you. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after me Your goodness is running after, it's running after me With my life laid down, I surrender now give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of I will sing of the goodness of God. Father, I'm so thankful for your goodness. Yes. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you are totally trustworthy. When we don't understand what's going on around us, we know you. We know you. 
and we know you hold tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know you. So, Lord, I just pray that on this Mother's Day, each and every one of us would be encouraged by your goodness, your faithfulness. We understand that we don't need to be overwhelmed because underneath are the everlasting arms. If God is for me, who can be against me? We know that we are more than conquerors in all of these things, for there's nothing, no power, no principalities, anything that's been created or will be created on heaven and earth that can separate me from your love. Lord, I bless each family today. I bless each mother and each woman today. Your grace would be their portion, that they would understand that you see them and they can see you. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a very blessed day.